But Acts 16, let's go ahead and get into our passage. Uh, I think most of you, if you were, if you were here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I don't think we can help but to be excited when we see someone come to Christ. There is a, a, uh, an excitement that happens as we watch people make that transformation and become a follower of Jesus. It is exciting. And if the Lord allows us to somehow participate in that, it's even more exciting. If you have ever experienced someone coming to Christ and you being a part of it, it is something you don't forget. And it's something we should be thankful for, not just in our own lives, but as we get to to be a part of that process. What we're going to see in our text that we started last time is someone who is, we would call him hardcore, someone who is just outside of the bounds of what we would think would normally come to Christ. Someone who is one of those cases that many of us would write off. This person not only saw his need of a Savior, became a Christian, trusting in Jesus alone. This man became a founding member of a church in Philippi that grew and that became an example, an example of joy that we can look back to and be thankful for. This guy, he was the real deal. And that's what we're going to be seeing today. Now, I forgot to ask, does anyone need one of our handouts? Same one as last week. Al, can you get a couple for us? They should be on this back table. Who needs one? Okay. Looks like just one. Everybody else has got them. Okay. All right. So we're looking at this, this, this conversion of the Philippian jailer. Now, if you remember uh, Ruth. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay, we're looking at this conversion of the Philippian jailer. And if you remember last time, we saw, or the thing we were pointing out is the different reactions that people were having in this passage. And there's going to be a lot more reactions. There, we're going to see a lot of these. But let's go ahead and review so we can catch you up on the notes as we're putting them up on the, on the overhead. Just go ahead and put the first one up, the, the main point, and then pretty quick go to the, the application statement so we can have the time for it. Uh, first thing we saw was in these first few verses the reaction of the world. The reaction of the world. And what we had was this. Paul had just got finished with this frontal attack against the God of this world, against Satan. He, he, ex- he took, expelled a demon out of this young girl and the demonic forces were not happy. I mean, this was a very much a frontal attack and Paul immediately received opposition. And we learned several things uh, through these verses. One was just more of an overview it, that persecution, trials, they're going to happen. And it, should, it is a normal thing. If you are going to live godly in Christ Jesus, if you are going to walk with Christ, you will suffer persecution. When we don't suffer persecution, a lot of the time, I would say probably most of the time, it's because we're not taking some kind of a stand for Jesus to give the powers of darkness a reason to want to come after us. We're too complacent in our Christianity. Here, we, we see that the persecution happens. And we need to be careful as we're witnessing to people. I have heard so many times people use a phrase in witnessing 
something, it goes something like this. You need to be saved because God has a wonderful plan for your life. He wants your pressure, and implied is He wants your pressures gone. He wants you to be blessed. It's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that's not founded in Scripture. What God has promised us, what He has given us is His promises. And you don't see these in the books, you know, 50 promises from God. He has promised us that we will suffer persecution when we walk with Him. Let's not sugarcoat the gospel. Let's make sure we're being accurate and not, not be guilty. The phrase I used was false advertising. People need to know what they're signing up for. And, not, and, and really it's dangerous. Here's why. When we give people this false sense of security and all they're signing up for is to get stuff for them, that's not salvation. And when people put their confidence in a, a decision they make for self, and that deceives them later on into thinking, I'm really saved, when they may not be, we're throwing roadblocks in the way. And we need to be careful with that. So we don't need to be guilty of false advertising. And what, what we learn from these verses is that these, if, had these people done what Scripture says and been quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, James 1.19, a lot of these problems would have been solved. But they weren't doing this. We need to make sure we're quick to hear. And they also answered a matter before they heard it. That's Proverbs 18.13. They were shameful fools based on that verse. We need to make sure we're not following that mindset. Your application statement, uh, be, let's be willing to stand for Jesus regardless of the cost. It's also be quicker to listen, slower to rush to judgment, so we won't be shameful fools. And then we went to the second point, the rejoicing of obedient followers. And really the, the key words in there was, uh, literally the wording there is praying, they sang praises. Praying, they sang praises. They understood that God is in control. And when we understand that, just as they did, we will praise Him as well. They praised Him because they understood who He was. Your application statement there, list purpose, to live above our circumstances and trust our Lord. He is worthy to be praised regardless. He's worthy to be followed regardless of what comes our way. So let's be doing that. Third thing we saw, the no restrictions with God. That was verse 26 with this, uh, literally, the mega quake that they had, this great earthquake. This earthquake was a miracle from God. God orchestrated it, God brought it, and God worked the details through it in such a way that He was the one glorified. And the point we saw was this, God isn't limited in what He can do. He's not limited then, He's not limited today. God can do whatever God sees fit to do, and we can trust Him as He does this. And your application statement on that, when God can still work in a miraculous way, let's be faithful to Him. So we can be in the middle of experiencing His power in our lives and in the lives of others. And that brings us to our text for today. So now what we've got is this jailer. This jailer, he understands his problem. I don't know what all he heard from Paul and Silas as they're praying, but this man understands that he has an issue. He is a sinner. He needs help. He understands these facts. He has a decision to make. And what is so sad is this. People today, they get to this point. They understand, I have a sin problem. I have to make a decision. Jesus is the way that I need to go. And am I, I'm going to count the cost. Is it worth it? 
I have met so many who they understand they have a problem, but you know what? Jesus is just not worth it to them. I want my sin life. I want to live my own life. Really what it comes down to, I want to be Lord, and we're going to cover that in just a moment. I want to be Lord of my life. And the prospect of having forgiveness from God, the prospect of going from death to life, the prospect of, of, of being able to have forgiveness is just not worth it to me. That's where many people, that's where most people are today. And later on, we're going to see this jailer's decision and how he reacts. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at our new text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are in control. Lord, I thank you that every struggle, every pressure point, everything that comes along, you have allowed, you desire it to work for our good. God, help us to trust you. Help us to be faithful as we follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, would you please work in this time, this brief, this brief time we have this morning. I pray that you would work in such a way that we would be built up, we would be strengthened, we would be challenged. But Lord, most of all, would you please work in such a way that you would get glory. Lord, let us see you. Let us come away with a bigger picture of you in our minds. I ask for your help as I preach. Please help me not to be a distraction. Help me to be accurate to your word. And again, Lord, glorify yourself through this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> All right, your point four. Opportunity for repentance. An opportunity for repentance. So let's start in verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light. He sprang in. He came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought him out. Said, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is the question that every person needs to come to. That's the question that we all have got to come to. And that what we see here in these verses is this reaction of this jailer when he understood the holiness of God. When he understood his own sinfulness, this is the point that he came to. And we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But let's just go through these verse by verse. Verse 27, it sounds like the fact that he woke up from this, from, with this earthquake and he's able to look out and see all these doors open. It sounds like he is one of the guys that's on duty. We might say, you know, in our culture, he was in the guard room. He could see everything that's happening in this situation. And so, if that's the case, he would have heard Paul and Silas. He would have heard them singing praises to Jesus. He would have heard them expounding on truth. He would have known what was going on in, the mean, in, in that previous time to this earthquake happening. As the jailer, he should have known what some of the charges were. 
He should have been able to have heard this, about this demon-possessed girl having that demon exercised. He should have known, he very likely did know, that by hearing these praises, something special is going on. God is using everything that has occurred around this time frame to prep this Philippian jailer to be ready when this miracle occurs. So here he wakes up, he sees the doors open, and he makes the assumption that all the prisoners have fled. Now that makes sense. If you and I were in jail, whether innocent or guilty, and those doors fly open, the tendency is to get out of there especially when you're in a Roman, a Roman jail. But why does it say here, he woke out of his sleep, he saw all this, and he drew out his sword and would have killed himself? Why kill yourself? Because a bunch of guys may have escaped. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I'm going to start with the minor, and then we're going to go to the major. The minor thing, the mindset, in the eastern part of the world is not like ours. We live in a mindset of right, wrong, guilty, innocent. And it's more of a, a very individualistic mindset. The Easterners, and I don't get this, the Eastern mindset's a lot different. They live in a shame-honor society. And if you shame someone, or if you are shamed, your family is shamed. And that culture will go to a point of in order to uh, guard against your family being shamed, suicide is a valid option. That is their mindset. And they ha it is much more uh, realistic and reasonable to guard the shame of your family by ending your life. I don't understand that, that mindset. But in a shame mindset, in a shame-honor culture, this is not unrealistic. But I don't think that was his big thing. His major issue has more to do with the Romans. Because what would the Romans do? If the jailer lets the prisoners go, if they escape on his watch, he gets the punishment that was supposed to go to them. So you've got a jail full of people, and if even some of them were supposed to die, the jailer dies. And keep in mind, this, this is the way the Romans work. It was not, okay, we're going to put you at a guillotine and we're going to just, you know, it ends quick. The Romans would torture you. The Romans' methods of death was not quick. They would do execution. They would do beatings. What the Romans did was they made sure that people were tortured and they were punished, not just killed. So personally, I can't blame the guy knowing what was about to come his way for wanting it to end fast. And so that's what he's doing. That's the whole point that we're seeing in verse 27 is that he is wanting it to end. So, verse 28. Verse 28 says that Paul cried with a loud voice, don't do this thing. I don't know how Paul saw him, if he just had the right angle. I don't know if the Holy Spirit gave him this understanding that the guy's about to kill himself, but he yelled for the guy, don't do it. Now, why is that a big deal? Look back up in verse 24. This jailer received the charge of keeping these guys securely, and you remember this word, he thrust them? 
That does not mean he placed them into their cell. This guy manhandled Paul and Silas. He threw them into a cell. And, keep, and have this mindset with me. It's not like, you know, this room is the cell. And he came through those doors and he threw them across and they tumbled across the floor. This was a cell. If you throw someone into a cell, they're going to bang into a wall. They were manhandling, they were torturing, they were punishing Paul and Silas. Here's, here's the words I want you to get in your mind, okay? This jailer showed absolutely no mercy. He showed no mercy to Paul. And now we have Paul saying, don't kill yourself, we're all here. What is Paul doing? Paul is showing mercy to one who showed him no mercy. Paul is showing love to someone who hated him. Do you see the picture here? Is this not what Jesus did with us? Did Jesus not show us love while you and I were personally rejecting and sinning against Him? While we sinned, He died for us. He died in our place while we were busy rejecting and hating Him. That's Romans 5.8. That is exactly what Jesus did. And what is Paul doing? Paul is exercising Christ-likeness. He is showing mercy. He's showing love to this man. I would just suggest, I can't you know, say this is absolute truth, but maybe part of why this jailer came to Jesus Christ is because of the mercy that Paul and Silas showed to him. Paul and Silas reacted in a proper way. And because Mercy was shown to him. It had an impact. Can, can you imagine if you and I reacted like this? Can you imagine if we were more merciful and if we were less self-focused? It's not all about us. Can you imagine how Jesus could use that? Can you imagine how many more opportunities you and I might have to witness to people? To be an influence? Listen, if you don't go away with anything else, this is it for today, okay? Get this one. It's not about us. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I like. It's not about what I want. It's not about you serving me. It's about Jesus. Are we willing to serve our Lord and walk in a way that glorifies Him and makes Him big regardless of what it does to us? We would have so many more opportunities. I think most of us in this room today would say, I desire, it is a, I, I would love to see people coming to Christ. I would love to lead someone to Christ in the near future. I would love to have this blessing. Well, maybe we need to yield to the Lord and live lives that are more attractive to people that they might desire to come to Christ. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And we need to get that point that's pushed into our minds. Notice verse 29. This guy called for a light. He came rushing in and he came trembling and he fell down before Paul and Silas. The guy's wasting no time. He's anxious. He wants to know truth. Now my question when I read this verse was, why trembling? What's he, what, what's he trembling about? Well, 
Maybe scared of aftershocks? Place is going to collapse? Maybe. I doubt it. Maybe he's scared more than that. He just rushed into a cell. And he rushed in with two guys, at least, that he just manhandled, mistreated, beat, stretched them out so they're cramping. He tortured two men, and he just rushed in. And now he's in a place where he's got one way out, and there's other prisoners who might want to come punish him. Maybe he's nervous. Maybe. I don't know. I'll tell you this, I think that more than those, and those two are, I'm not saying they're not reality, but this man was most likely overwhelmed with God's presence, with God's working in his own heart. This man knew, I've got a sin problem. He knew, I've got an issue, and I need to have it dealt with, and those two guys, they can help me, and I've got problems. This guy knew that Paul and Silas had some answers that he wanted, that he needed. Look in verse 30. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, this is, that's a term of respect. You don't talk. Guards don't talk to prisoners that way. He understood something's different. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is a question that every single person has to ask. Every person, if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, we've got to get answers to this, pro- to this question. And this man is at a very good point. He knows that he needs the answer to how to address his offense towards a holy God. Now, when he says, what must I do to be saved... The word saved can be used in multiple ways. But I'm just going to tell you, he is not concerned about the prisoners. And he's not concerned about, you know, how is Rome going to treat me? How do I get out of this punishment that's coming? The prisoners are all there. He knows it. His problem is he wants to know how to be forgiven. He wants to know how to be made right with God. And he is not looking for a way, which is the Roman thing. They had a plethora of gods. He was not looking for a way. He's looking for the way. How can I... Make peace with God. That's the point he's at. Now, this man's at a good point. He needs to be at this point. He sees that he's lost. He is under conviction. That means the Holy Spirit is working in him. That has to happen for salvation. The Holy Spirit must be working. This man's at a good point. But do you realize that none of what we're talking about makes this guy a Christian? That's, it's a good point to be at because people need to understand their loss before they can be saved. They need to understand, I need Jesus. There has to be that need that God brings to us, that He points out and quickens our mind with. God has to be doing this work. I would, I would suggest to us that's a good point to be at, but in our culture, and again, I'm picking on American, Western culture a lot. One of our tendencies, or tendencies I've seen, is when we see people get to this point where they're convicted, there's this tendency to rush in and tell them, oh, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you need to put your trust in Jesus, and we start pushing. We need to be careful with that. No one died and made you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a really good job of convicting us of sin. The Holy Spirit 
is very adept to working in each person's mind the way that he wants. Now, am I saying that we just step back and we don't ask questions? We don't give invitation? Not at all. God can use us. My point is, let's not try to push somebody when they're not ready yet. We just have to be careful. We need to ask God for wisdom to help us. Here, I want you to notice this guy's question. He says, what must, those next two words, I do. Is this not what every world, major world religion pushes? Is this not what every cult that's out there pushes? Here's what you have to do. Well, I don't have to do anything. Jesus did it. And that's this guy's problem. He's looking for what kind of thing can I do in order to have peace with God? And here's the problem with that. No matter what you do, you're going to fail. You're, going to, you're not going to succeed. You're going to have times when you blow it. And, and we know this. And when we are looking at what we can do on the life we can live to make peace with God, it just leaves people empty. It leaves people doubting. That's how it works when it is a do religion. This guy knew that he was lost. This guy knew that he needed something, and that's necessary. It's necessary that he knows this. But it makes me wonder, how would he have reacted? He's been sitting in that control room, whatever you want to call it, listening to Paul and Silas. And what have they been doing? They've been praising God. They've been glorifying Jesus. They have been lifting up the cross. They are making it very clear that they are trusting in Jesus. Can you imagine if Paul and Silas had reacted like you and I sometimes do today? What do we do when things go wrong? We like to gripe. We like to complain. I'm guilty. This is a hard one. If you want to get me going, inside especially, just bring up politics. My natural inclination is to be ticked, is to be, how can people think this way, blah, 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 and I start griping and I start complaining. These guys didn't gripe and complain. These guys were praising the Lord for what He was allowing they weren't bad-mouthing. They weren't sitting in the cell saying, how could that rotten jailer have done this to me? How could... They weren't doing this. People, our Christianity should affect our lives. If our relationship with Jesus is not affecting how we act, if it's not affecting what we do, if, it's, if, we're don't, if we don't have the Holy Spirit working in my life, then I'm messing up. Something's not right. So what that does, when it doesn't affect our lives, we're, allowed, we're saying, Jesus, I want you tacked on. I want you to be a part of me, but I'm going to be Lord. I'm going to do my thing. That's, that's not salvation. Jesus should make a difference. It should make us, our lives should be like this natural magnet. I read this quote, and I liked it. Obviously, I'm reading it to you. A Christian is someone who makes it easier to believe in Jesus. When people see my life, does it make it easier to believe in Jesus? Am I a walking billboard for him? 
Sometimes I'm not. And this is something we need to... Paul and Silas were doing this. This jailer's reaction was in large part due to Paul and Silas. Your application statement here. Everyone must come to a point where they understand they're lost and in need of a Savior. Let's commit to follow Jesus and represent Him well so we'll be more likely to help them. I think everybody will say, I want to help people come to Jesus. Well, let's prove it. Let's walk with Him. So this, this guy's reaction, the jailer's reaction is good, but it didn't save him. So let's look at the next point. His response to the gospel. His response to the gospel. Now, we could say we have two reactions here. Uh, we have Paul and Silas, how they react. When, when, they, when they're asked about how do I be saved. And then we can see the reaction of the jailer when he hears the gospel. So let's look at the first part, verse 31. What must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in your house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Now, you could look at this, you know, verse 31, he says, here's what you need to do. Here's this overview. Verse 32, let me expound this to you some more. I'm going to give you more details so you can fully understand what we're talking about. So, let's start with verse 31. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pick on this word, believe, for just a minute. The tense of this word is something that it said, he said, this is an urgent thing. This is important. This is, you, you need to actively participate in this fast. That's the word believe. And here's what the word means, to commit, to trust, to rely upon. Now the idea with that word is to put all of your dependence in something. To put all your eggs in one basket. This is the word believe. I would say many people believe in Jesus. Jesus is a certifiable historical figure. It's just history that he existed. The stuff that he did is written by, it's, he's written about by secular historians. People know that Jesus existed if they're going to be reasonable in the same way that they may know Napoleon existed or Alexander the Great existed. We never saw them. We don't know what they're like, but history says they existed and people believe that Jesus existed in the same way. You're not putting your dependence on the fact that somebody existed. That's not this word with, the, with, with, with believe. You can believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was. You can believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. He's God incarnate, therefore He is deity. You can believe that Jesus walked this earth and lived a sinless life. That had to happen. Jesus did do that. You can believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You can believe that He rose from the dead on the third day. You can believe He's going to come back. He's going to reign. He is Messiah. You can believe all of these things and still be lost. The devil believes all of those things. The devil knows all of this is true. When he says here, believe, he's talking about an active belief that commits to something. 
An active belief that is fully relying on something. Jesus is to be the sole confidence that we have for making peace with God. It is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone. How many times have we heard people say something like this? You need, in order to go to heaven, you need to be saved and you need to be baptized. No. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. You need to be saved and you need to live a good life. No. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Your works don't save you. Nothing you can do can save you. If G- a, a, a Catholic priest said this, and I'm, I'm probably going to mess up the quote, but when Jesus died on the cross, He accomplished 90% of what needed to be done for our salvation. That's a lie from hell. Jesus accomplished 100%. He did it all. He said it's done. There is nothing that we can add. This is the word believe. It is putting all of your eggs in that one basket. Jesus paid it all. That's the point that he's pushing here with this word. Believe. So then he says, you must believe, okay, on what? On the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that is not a name. It's not like, okay, I've got my name, Richard Dale Ballard. I've got three names. It's not that Jesus' name is Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. He's pointing out in this verse that there are different things you need to believe. And we need to address this with people today. The first one, He is Lord. He's Lord. That word has the idea He is the Sovereign. He is the Ruler. There is no one above Him. Why is that such a big deal here? Well, with Rome, you don't say that. It was that belief system that had Christians thrown into lion's dens. It's that belief system that made Christians human candles that that had them crucified. The Romans very clearly said, you can believe whatever you want, but you better include with that that Caesar is the ultimate. Caesar is Lord. And they would have to come by with a pinch of incense and throw it onto an altar and make that statement or they would be killed. This is a big deal to say Jesus is Lord. He is the sovereign. We know Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, literally, Jesus as Lord, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is a huge deal. And it would have been a major one for this Roman soldier. Then he says, believe on the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Okay, Jesus identifies him, identifies our Savior with what he did on this earth. Jesus did come live a sinless life. Jesus did die for our sins. He is God come in the flesh. He did come and take our sin on him because he knew no sin. And he he took that and, and it was... It was in substitution so that we, for us so that we can come to Him. He did this on our behalf and He defeated sin on the third day by rising from the dead. This is, a, this is all encompassed in this believe on Jesus. Believe on what He accomplished on this earth. And He says the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that word, right? Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. 
This was a very common name. It's still used today. Jesus is the one who had the Father's approval. Jesus is the only one that had the Father's full blessing on Him. And Jesus is the one that one day is going to come back and He is going to reign. Jesus is the one who's going to judge. Jesus is the chosen one. He's the one that we need to look to. And that's what he's telling this jailer. John said the same thing in John 20, verse 31. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's deity. And that believing you might have life through his name. You need to believe this. You need to believe who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished, and it's him and him alone. No other, nothing else. That's what he's pushing with this jailer. I like the last phrase he uses. Notice uh, into that verse, you'll be saved and thy house. This one bothered me early on. Because it's like, okay, can you have salvation by proxy? In other words, if I get saved, does that mean all of a sudden my family is saved? No. So, but here, it sounds like it. You'll be saved and your house. This last phrase, there are writings on this for centuries where people have argued and debated this verse and how it would apply to his whole family. Well, here, let me just give you a way to read this that I think will make it very clear for us. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If your family believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll be saved too. His point is this. This isn't just for you. It's not that you have some kind of special thing happening in you. This is open. This is for whosoever will come. This is Salvation is an open offer. And that's what he's offering this, this jailer. You can be saved. Your family can be saved. It is open. So here's, here's the issue. He is offering salvation. He is offering this man to be spiritually transformed, brought from death to life, and that is, the, in the context, that is exactly what he's talking about. Look in verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, that's the gospel, and to all that were in his house. So in that first verse, it's like he's saying, okay, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. There's your overview. And now we're going to talk to his house. We're going to give them the gospel. They expounded on it. One of the problems that we have in our circles is we like, to, in our country I should say probably, we like for things to be short and we like to use uh, labels that say here is what I am, here is what I believe, and we want to state it in three seconds. Instead of sitting down and saying, okay, how about this doctrine? Here's where, and let's take 20 minutes and discuss this thing. And let's see what the Scripture says. We like things to be short. We want to tell people, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Do you want to pray? No. That's not what they did. They spoke the gospel to those people. They took time and talked to these people. They gave them the gospel. They gave them a more detailed explanation. See, that's where the power is. They need to hear the gospel. Romans 1.16 that's our power. We get caught up today, and this has happened here in the past. We get caught up with, I need a new program. I need a new method. I need a new way to go about doing it. I, and we put all of our focus 
on programs when instead of just let's, let's give the gospel. Let's know what we're talking about and let's take people to the Bible and let's present it to them. That's what we need to do. And we need to realize it's not up to us. We're, like, we're, we're just like uh, people who introduce. We're introducing people to Jesus. That's all we can do. We can't bring someone to salvation. So they gave the gospel here. Look in verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. He was baptized, he and all his, straightway, immediately. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. So what we see in these verses is the outcome of verses 31 and 32. This man became a follower of Jesus. And then in these two verses, we get to see evidences. We see the evidences of what he has experienced. It does not appear that this man tapped Jesus onto his life. I use that phrase a lot because that's a mentality that Americans seem to have. We're just going to tack him on, let's take him along for the ride, and we'll be okay. This man didn't do this. This man, he experienced a total transformation of his life. And I'm going to suggest to you as we go through this, these are things that should be evidence in our lives. As these things are not here, I want to encourage you to do the same thing I did as I was studying this. Look inside. Ask God. Tell Him. If you don't have this, you need to tell Him, God, this, this, I'm blowing it. I need your help. I need you to change me. That needs to be a heart cry of ours. Let's look at what this guy evidenced with his life. Notice the first thing. He took them out and washed their stripes. He washed their stripes. This jailer, what he did is... He showed a love for believers. He showed a care for believers. 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever loves Jesus loves the followers of Jesus. I'm paraphrasing that one. Keep this in mind. This is the same guy who, back up in verse 24, had just manhandled these two prisoners, thrown them into a cell, tortured them, This is the guy that hated these two men enough to do this to them, and now something has transformed in his life. This man has been brought from death to life. He's been brought from bondage to freedom. This man has genuinely been converted, and now that he's been converted, there is a devotion to people who are followers of Jesus. There is a devotion to Jesus Himself. I would suggest to you the same thing's going to be true when someone becomes a follower of Jesus today. There is a devotion to Jesus and there's a devotion to Jesus' followers. There may be differences. And people, listen, there are differences. You look around this room. I've got differences with every one of you. Every one of you have differences with me. We're just different people. Okay, we, we need to get over it. But we're family. There should be a bond between family that draws us together. There should be a love for each other in the body of Christ so that, like Jesus said, by their love, they'll they'll know know that we're followers of Jesus. 
Can people see that in us? Do they see this attraction to each other and realize, you know, there's something different about these people? There should be. There should be a love and a concern just like this man had. And, and, and a side issue with that one, this is, this is one of the things that makes it difficult when you hear people say this, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I'm fine to do things on my own. I can worship Jesus out in my tree stand. I can, but I don't need to come to church. Well, that's not a mark of a believer. This man had a passion and a love for other followers of Jesus. We're, Jesus died for this body. And we need, to, we need to live for this body. We need to, it should be an active part in each of our lives. So he washed their stripes. Notice also it says he was baptized. He was baptized with his family. Now, I don't want us to think of this, again, in our Western culture terms. In our terms, if I tell you we're going to have a baptism... That means that someone is going to come, they're going to go back here, I'm going to dip them in the water, everybody in this building is going to be rah-rah, we're going to be excited for them, as we should be, everybody's going to be receptive, everyone's going to be positive. That's not baptism in Scripture. Baptism in Scripture is, is, is choosing to fully identify with Jesus, and it was a death sentence. It was a sentence of people are going to persecute me because I am following Christ. I'm no longer about following this world, my religion, primarily self. I am going to be a follower of Jesus. The, 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 the main point with it was this public stand, this full identification. Even though it appears to have happened in the middle of the night, this would have been... A mark on this jailer. He chose to fully identify with Jesus. People, get that one, okay? We're to fully identify with Jesus. Even at work? Yeah. At work, when you may be ridiculed. Even, and here, here's probably one of the hardest, even at home, if I've got unsaved family? Yeah. You're to be a follower and full identifier with Jesus, whether it's at work, whether it's at your recreation, whether you go shopping. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. If you are a follower of Jesus, He owns you. It is not an option whether you should be following Him. That, that's a given. We are to follow Jesus. And today, we don't see that commitment level in our society. Jesus is something we follow when it's convenient for us because, as a whole, we have a very selfish mentality. We're all about us. We want our way. And if you don't like it my way, I'll take my toys and go somewhere else and play. We're a selfish culture. That's not what Christians do. We follow Jesus. And that is what he was doing as he was being baptized. Verse 34 when he had brought them into his house, there's a big deal in itself. He set meat before them. So he practiced hospitality with Paul and Silas. These men were serving the Lord. These men had just, yes, they had been beaten by this jailer. They had been tortured by him. But he now wants to be a part of this. 
He wants to be a part of helping them. He wants to be a part of the gospel going out. Very similar to you and I should be coming together and exhorting the brethren to go out and do the work of the ministry. We should be helping each other. There should be a, a, a passion to want to see each other help. And with this, with, as far as the hospitality, it may go into some physical needs. There should be a love for the brethren that wants to help. And not just unbelievers. We're to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. There should be a passion for us to help believers. The last phrase here. He rejoiced, believing in God, with all his house. That word rejoicing literally means to jump much. The guy was leaping for joy. This guy was pumped. He was excited. This man understood. Here's where we mess up. The case is one of them. This man understood what happened to him. Think about that. Have you ever stepped back and said, you know, what, what really happened at my salvation? Think about this. I was transferred from death to life. I was hopeless. I was on my way to hell. I was serving the devil. And now I've got a relationship with the God of heaven simply by putting all my eggs in one basket. This man knew what had happened to him. And when we think of that, people, it should cause joy in our lives. I was sharing with the men yesterday at the breakfast that uh, 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 the passage that had really stood out to me recently is the end of Habakkuk. I'm not going to turn there right now, but here's basically what it says. Even though everything goes sour, even though nothing I do works, even though I'm having all these issues, even though you know, the, 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 there's no grain in the field, there's no food in the, pla- in the cupboards, even though everything is going wrong, I'm going to praise my God. I'm going to rejoice in my God because He is good and He's worthy to be praised. That's the end of a back of three. It doesn't matter what goes on in our lives. If we know Jesus as our Savior, you've got something to be joyful about. And if we can't do that, problems in here. We have an awesome God. We have a God who loves us and cares about us. And if you're like me, I read when I went through this list and I saw what this man's life was evidenced by, I did not come away from this thinking, this is me. I've got this. I came away from this passage thinking, I'm not doing so hot. I'm blowing it. And that's what I came away from here with. I keep missing the mark. But you know what? The Lord doesn't want us beating ourselves up. He doesn't want us getting despondent and depressed because we keep failing in, in, in our life. We're going to. You're going to fail. That's what Paul said so clear. The things I would do, I don't. The things I wouldn't do, I do. I've got this constant battle in my flesh with my spirit. And it's, 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 he was going through hard times on a constant basis. It is good for you to recognize your weaknesses because we are weak. We are sinful. But don't stop there. We need to recognize I've got a Lord who can work through me and who can help me to conquer where I'm weak. We need to keep running back to our Lord and asking Him, help me. I'm failing here. Help me. He delights to do this. He wants us to be controlled by His Spirit. And a key with that, 
again, going off a little bit from the text, but a key with us being controlled by His Spirit is let His Word dwell in us richly. That, is not, that does not mean check off your daily Bible reading schedule. It means let that book change your life. Let, that, let, this, let these scriptures dictate what you do and don't do. Care about what this book says. As we do that, we are going to have this joy. We are going to have this control of the Spirit that will affect the rest of our lives. Your application statement on this one. In order for us to make peace with God, we must place our dependence on Jesus alone. And if that hasn't happened in your life, just understand that John 3.18 says that you're already condemned. You're, you're done for. You have no hope. There's nothing you can do. It's all about Jesus. We're condemned. Jesus is the one that can make alive. If this transformation has happened in your life, people, it should be resulting in a changed life. There should be changes happening. There should be growth happening. Our Lord is good. Our Lord is gracious. You see that just in the offer of salvation. He offered us something we don't deserve. But then, after we receive Him, He allows us to continually return to Him as we turn away. He allows us to be used to, to, to further His kingdom. He works in us. This alone should show us how worthy He is of our devotion. He's worthy of our worship. Let's give it to Him. It's a choice we make. Let's stand for a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never become a follower of Jesus... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved too. You need to put all of your eggs in that one basket. It is all about Jesus. It is nothing about us. It's us putting our trust in Him. We can't do anything to earn it. And it's not tacking Him onto your life. It's not you know, making church a little part of it. It is us putting all of our trust in Him. If you're not sure of your salvation, I would love nothing more than to help you, to give you more information so you can know Him. Christian, our Lord has been gracious to us. You need to admit this, understand this, but because He's been gracious, can I encourage you, let's commit to serving Him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. He's worthy of this. And it's a good time of year to be making these kind of commitments. So you do business with God, as Bethany Christ.